I know who needs a mic. Except the recording. Uh, my wife tricked me. That was good, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. Mm -mm. That says 926 over there. See that? Yeah, I can't start over. So he's part of the Italian regiment. There's, a, there's 600. And they, they, they're in charge of uh, protecting and enforcing Roman rule. And there's a lot of Jewish people in Caesarea, and they, they are not getting along. There's a lot of violence and a lot of hatred. In fact, I, I have an idea. Is it possible that maybe when Passover came in Jerusalem and there was this uprising and all this you know, uh, uh, dissension and the, and the Romans, they want to clamp down on that. Is it possible that the regiment, or at least the, the cohort from Caesarea, was called up to Jerusalem? Is it possible that maybe Cornelius actually was there in the courtyard when Peter came and denied Jesus? Well, was it possible that he was actually at the crucifixion? I don't know. But verse 3 says that he was generous, he was devout. He was a God-fearer. He was impressed with the Jews. He, he was leaning in. He was wondering about uh, these people. He was respected by the Jewish people. He was a, he was a different sort of man. There was, there was change that was happening in his life. And verse 3 says that one day, one day, I, I like that. There's always one day. You never know what that one day might bring into your life. Every day is another one day of possibility for you and for me. And he was praying, and he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God. And the angel said, send men and bring back a guy named Peter, and listen to what he has to say. It says he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. God had been listening to him. God had been paying attention to Cornelius. I think this is the guy that's on the outside, right on the margin, that's peering in, noticing relationships, knowing life choices, knowing the quality of the community and the connections. He's, he's watching, he's always watching, watching what we're doing, and he's intrigued. So interested, wondering, I wonder if I could belong there. You know, that's kind of one of our heart cries is, I want to belong. I want, to, I want it to matter. I want to be included. And that's Cornelius. But then Luke, in his narrative, he moves over to Peter's story. Peter's up in Joppa, down in Joppa, 30-something miles away. Another beach town, Peter's been traveling, he's getting some R&R. At noon the next day, he goes up on the roof to pray. He's hungry. A meal's being prepared. It's the warning, don't, don't go shopping at the grocery store when you're hungry because then, you know, you make really bad choices, right? So he falls into this trance. He also has a vision. And the story says that a large sheet was let down by the four corners, 
It's going to be a Stranger Things 2 moment for Peter right now. Because inside of that sheet, there were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds, ugly, yucky things that was completely against the Jewish law to, 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 touch or, uh, to eat or even touch. You just you stay away from those things. And a voice says to Peter, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, ah, surely, Lord, I have never, ever eaten anything impure and unclean. I have stayed away from that. It's the law. The voice again cries out to Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. In other words, God is telling Peter, I want you to break the law of God so that you can obey the new law of God. Why? The resurrection has opened up a new world of possibility. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter, his upbringing as a Jew, his religion, his culture, his nationality, his tradition, his mother's kosher cooking, his leadership, everything in his past, his preference, what he liked, what he was familiar with. It was all being called into question and being turned upside down. You see, when Jesus came, he continued to push on the Jewish religious leadership calling them to account, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Here is the commission. Here's the vision. Here is why God chose Israel as his people. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you, And whoever curses you, I will curse. And then Israel forgot this last phrase that God included in the commission. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. One of the most important statements of God in the entire scriptures. And if you continue to understand Genesis 12 and God's commission to the nation, you'll understand that's our story too. And how often we forget that. I'll bless you. We love to be blessed. And through you, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. All peoples. Israel had forgotten that. And in fact, there grew up great animosity and separation between them and the neighboring nations. Yes, there was idolatry. Yes, there was, there, were, there was horrific practices. And yes, they wanted to honor the holiness of God. But the, the chasm grew so great when Jesus came and died on the cross. The dividing wall was broken down. This vision happened three times to Peter. Do you remember another three-time experience that Peter had with Jesus? I want you to feed my sheep, Peter. Well, who are my sheep? Well, the Samaritan showed you. Who was my neighbor? Jesus had been working on Peter. And the Spirit tells him in verse 20, 
Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Cornelius had sent a soldier and two other servants to go get Peter. Strange animals now are turning into strange men. So different from Peter. But now the three men and Peter and some believers from Joppa, they make the journey to Caesarea. Joppa to Caesarea. Joppa is the modern-day Jaffa near Tel Aviv. Maybe 30, 35 miles walking. It'd be, if we were to walk from the Norris Pavilion uh, to, to the Getty Villa on Coast Highway 1, that's the journey. And now we're going to see the collision of these two stories coming together. Because God has a story. And he wants to invite us to make his story our story. And he always wants to include the other person's story. There's always three stories going on. And we're invited into that. Cornelius had filled his house with relatives, friends. It was packed. Everybody's sitting everywhere in anticipation, waiting for Peter and the message that he was going to bring. And Peter kind of informs us of what not to say when you walk into a party as an invited guest. Verse 28, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. First thing he says, like, really, Peter? It's like walking into a party and saying, you know, I would not normally come to a party like this or hang out with people like you because I am so much cooler. Uh, where's the food? It, it just doesn't, it doesn't warm things up. Your freshman daughter comes home from college, Thanksgiving, brings her boyfriend, sit down, the turkey's put onto the table, and the boyfriend announces with the girlfriend's assent, hey, we're both vegan, and we think eating turkey is immoral. Really? You're dating this guy? You know, it's just a, like, like party etiquette and what you say. But then, but then, in verse 28, but, Peter says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter's getting it. All peoples of the world will be blessed through you. So they're ready for the message from Peter. But first, Peter says the lesson again, verse 34. I now realize, I'm, I'm getting it, I'm the student now, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God does not show favoritism. This is the foundation for world mission. This is why the River Hope's ministry, why the table exists, because of this commission to take this good news out everywhere to every person. This is the end of racism and prejudice. This is the end of us and them. This is the end of the early followers of Jesus remaining a very small, comfortable Jewish sect huddled in Jerusalem and opening them up to worldwide influence. 
This is the good news coming to any and every person, no matter how different they are than us. So then Peter recounts the story of Jesus, his miracles, his healing, how much he loved people, and then his crucifixion, and then his resurrection. And he ends in verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then it says, while Peter was still speaking, hey, I'm not done here. The Holy Spirit interrupts him and falls on all who hear the message. And the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out not only on the Jews of Pentecost, but now also the Gentiles. This is the Gentile Pentecost. Wait a minute. I thought this power, I thought this this anointing, this healing, this choosing was ours. And God orchestrates a lesson for Peter and all that were with him. No, 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 no. This is going to be for everyone. This is not just for you. And it says in verse 45 that they were astonished. God, you are blowing my mind. You are challenging the way I think. You're turning my world upside down. You're poking at my assumptions. Making me feel uncomfortable. So, I've been thinking about this story and how our story fits in it. How how we get to inhabit the story of Scripture. How we ought to immerse ourselves in the stories of Scripture. The, The stories that Luke tells in Acts 2, he's telling them so that we might find ourselves continuing the story. And I began thinking about at least some initial thoughts and observations. And this is something I say a lot. This is a paradigm shift for me. It's a new, it's a new way of thinking for me, and I've said it here many times. We don't go to church. We just don't go to church. You didn't come to church this morning. But we say that often, don't we? Hey, are you going to church? Are you going to the beach or the north? Are you, you going to go to church? No, I'd rather sleep in. We, we don't go to church. We are the church. And that is a fundamental paradigm shift. We are the church. The church is not a place. Now, this is a gathering place for the church to gather together. But, I mean, clearly, when you meet at the beach and now at this beautiful Norris Pavilion, you kind of know, well, they're not really a church. Because we don't have a church building. We go to a gathering of the church at the Norris and the beach, but, but we don't go to church. We are the church. And the way I've thought about this is that, that we are the church when we gather together. But we're still the church when we're scattered out of this place. So we don't go to church, we are the church. Whether it's in our home, in our neighborhoods, in our commute, in our cubicle, at our desk in third period, we're still the church. And if we can change our thinking to to, to eliminate this compartmentalization of, yeah, I go to church and then I have my regular life. It can change a lot of perspectives. In fact, we think of we're the church when we're gathered together, which gets us focused inside. 
It turns our attention inward. Instead of God's desire is he brought persecution into the church and exploded them out. So this is important. This is vital. But it's just as vital when we go out. The other thing is, in verse 47, Peter is so astonished. And he says, wait a minute. If the Spirit's fallen on these Gentiles, what's to keep them from being baptized? Now, you need to understand what baptism is. Baptism in water, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is a welcome into the family. So that's another paradigm shift. We're a family. The church is a family. In fact, we're a family made up of families. It's a beautiful way to think about what's going on here. But are we a permeable church? Are we open to welcoming others into our family? Can others get in? Who's the Cornelius that's on the outside, peering in, wondering, could I I belong in that family, that spiritual family? Could my family come in? Would my children be welcomed and accepted? And here's been really profound for me as I've thought about this. In light of what River Hopes is doing and the opportunity we have to come alongside Community's Child and the Martin Home, some of us will go to the Martin Home on December 9th. And, you know, for Peter and Cornelius, the learning went both ways. We often think of the story, the conversion of Cornelius. But this story is also the conversion of Peter. It's also the conversion of the church. You see, Cornelius was not just the object that the knowledgeable leader Peter went to to bring something good. And that's true with the Martin Home. Martin Home is a home run by Pastor Joseph Hamilton for men that have been incarcerated 10, 20, 25 years. And then with their parole board uh, uh, permission, they get assigned to the Martin Home for an intensive discipleship program and to help them with job skills and writing resumes and getting out there and getting on their feet as a faithful follower of Jesus. And we've had a relationship with Joseph in the Martin Home. It's been fantastic. And so out on the table, there's an opportunity for you to look at their wish list and to say, oh, yeah, hey, I'll buy that for this fellow. And then we're going to go out to the Martin Home. We're going to have brunch together. We're going to eat and talk and those sort of things. One of the real dangers for a church like the River, where we have the resources to buy them all Christmas, we can pay for everything on their wish list, and then we go, We're the ones who are the resourceful people bringing our good stuff to these guys who are poor and uneducated and have been incarcerated. And we create a us versus them, a division. When in reality, they're like Cornelius. Peter had just as much to learn as Cornelius did. And though these men may not be able to buy us resources out of their checking account, They have so much to teach us. So whenever we get into a position where we feel like we're the ones in charge, we're the ones on top, we're the ones that have the knowledge, we're the ones that have the resources, to say, wait a minute, it goes both ways. Parents know this in your relationship with your children. Your children have been your best teachers. 
We just don't want to let them know that. So I encourage you to go by there, but to be thinking about the reciprocation of what can happen when we're in an environment of giving this Thanksgiving and Christmas season. It goes both ways. So here's my final thought. Acts 10, I believe, is challenging our blind spots, our stereotypes, our assumption about the person who's different than us. God wants us to see every person is valued. Every person is valuable because they're made in the image of God. Anyone see the film Wonder this weekend? Again, oh, fantastic, because I thought Cynthia and I, no one at the beach had seen the film. Anyone read the book? There we go. Oh, my goodness. My friends, you've got to go see this film. And it's a story of Augie Pullman, born with a face that no one wanted to look at except his mom and his dad. Bullied, unaccepted, made fun of. Very, very difficult experience. But God used Augie as a Cornelius and taught the school and taught his family. This is not a spoiler alert, but at the end there's a voiceover. Augie says, if you really want to see what people are, all you have to do is look. All you have to do is look. You know what he was saying? Look past my face and see me. Isn't that what we really want? We want people to see us, to really see us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Yeah, there may be all this stuff. We all got stuff. God sees right inside. He sees your heart. We come to the communion table. And the amazing thing about the communion table is that it represents the body and the blood of Jesus. Broken. Jesus' body broken on the cross. His blood spilt for us. And there's only really one way to get to Jesus. His name. It's through the cross. It's face down on our knees at the cross. And the thing about the communion table, though we have two separate stations, there's one loaf and there's one cup. Because we're a family. And we come with all of our differences, all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our, uh, of our quirks. We're one family. No matter how different we are, we come to this table. We come with others. And we partake the bread. I wonder how the Holy Spirit wants to push and shape and change the river. Who, who is invisible to us? They might be in this room. Or just on the edge, peering in, watching you at school or at work, wondering, I don't think I really know a real Christian. I hear what they say on the news media, but what's a real Jesus follower like? They're, they're, just, they're just leaning in. You know what they're like? They, they come to the table broken, 
participating in this supper. So as the team leads us in worship, just want to encourage you uh, in your own time, come to the table and just know you don't come alone. You come with the family. Bless you as we partake together. Thank you.